for my whole life. I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. And people are starting to notice. You think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? It's time to eat your veggies. Send in the clowns. Eat Your Veggies is a nutrient-dense podcast serving you the best in art and pop culture. I'm Michael Londres, a fiction writer and scientist. And I'm Charlie Janelle, a filmmaker and poet. We're insatiable media omnivores, munching on the latest and greatest in books, music, movies, TV, games, you name it. This week, we're smearing on a smile and painting the town red with Joker. Joaquin Phoenix is Arthur Fleck, a party clown who dreams of comedy stardom. Deprived and degraded by Gotham City, his ambitions take a nasty turn, transforming him into the clown prince of crime. Then stick around for Last Bites, where we search high and low for this week's juiciest morsels. And we'll hear from you too. Send in the clowns. Wonderful evening in um, in the city. Ripe with possibility. Is it one more block for the Q train? Yeah, so it should be on 7th Avenue. Today was a long day. Today was a really long day. And it's still going. You woke up really early for work, and I woke up early for volunteering at NYFF. How's the volunteering going? It was very chill today, but I find it a lot of fun. We sold out, just to update everyone, we were sold out of the Agnes Varda and Pedro Almodovar pins. Totes. We still have the totes. <laughs> Michael's on merch. So we just saw Pain and Glory all the way over west at this landmark theater that sits facing the water. We're walking down 57th East to the Q train to what should be a fun time at No Bar to meet with some friends. You should get on the train. Okay. Bye to myself. Cool. Amazing. Thank Time you, travel. Thank you so much, Charlie and Michael. That was really, really informative. You guys really know a lot about the Q train. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, did you Did you guys enjoy No Bar? Something tells me you didn't. <laughs> Say no to No Bar. If you, are, if you are the age of 22 and above. New York's hottest club is boof. <laughs> Located in an abandoned orphanage on the lower, lower east side of Chelsea, this round-the-clock puke party is the creation of narcoleptic club owner Snoozin Lucci. If you're Say of legal no age and no, no older to go to a bar, <laughs> go to no bar. Yeah. Everyone else, go to a bar that's not no bar. We should start a bar... Blacklist? No. <laughs> All of New York. No, I was going to say, we should start a bar, like, floor planning startup, because yeah. these bars are just, like, the worst. Like, I was getting elbowed by... Um, Brats. Gen Zers from yeah. redacted school. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so you know, what and it, you know what's crazy is that, like, you know you've reached a certain age when you sit in the corner of a bar with your friends and you talk about how the fl- you talk about the floor plan. I was part of a special task force of very young looking cops who infiltrated high schools. How do you do fellow kids? 
what? <laughs> I'm just gonna say. <laughs> or as our, our friend Mickey uh, was pointing out, the porcelain um, uh, lamps, the porcelain lighting. <laughs> Mickey's like, well, I've noticed that uh, the latest trend, in the latest trend design. in interior design is ceramic lighting. I'm like, I don't think we're quite doing what we're intended to do here. But <laughs> I really like, I, li- I like how I'm here. This is this is the new me. Um, <laughs> Michael, you've been busy recently. You've been, yeah. um, you've been volunteering at the New York Film Festival. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Give us set the scene. What was the crowd like at your uh, at your first session? I mean, the crowd is definitely my least favorite part of the experience. Oh, oh there's this guy that has um, a guy that carries a dragon around his neck. Okay. And I think he's a staple at Lincoln Center because I saw him last year at the screening of Let the Sunshine In, mm-hmm. um, where Juliette Binoche was doing a Q&A afterwards. Mm-hmm. And this guy asked a question, mm-hmm. like, fine, whatever, fawning over her. But afterwards, like, bum-rushed to the stage with a large bouquet of flowers, looking mm-hmm. like a crazy person. Gosh, I love you so much. Oh, thanks. Can I give you a hug? No, thanks. Please? No, thanks. A little one. Yeah, no, thanks. Oh. <laughs> and, like, basically people were trying to escort her out like to the, through the back door and like he was it was kind of sad he was extending this large bouquet of flowers like up oh, on no. this like towards the stage yeah. and people were just ignoring him but anyway i saw him in like amongst the crowd he kind of stands out and there's this woman who wears a lot of uh butterfly paraphernalia on on herself like, wait really, so wh- sorry continue your thought uh, like she has like she wears bright colors um bright color pants suits i would guess um you know like a like a blouse jacket and skirt combo sure. kind of like an older woman style with butterflies with a bunch of like butterfly pins okay and and uh, uh hair clips how many butterflies are we talking about goodbye butterfree i'll always remember you thank you for everything goodbye butterfree Average Dozens? of twenty, you know. <laughs> more than twenty is not classy. What I mean, well, well that's for that's for the viewer to decide. Um, <laughs> wait, you said the guy had a dragon. Uh, my ancestor sent a little lizard to help me. Hey, dragon, dragon, not lizard. I don't do that tongue thing. A dragon, like, like a, what does that a mean? plastic toy dragon that is like curvy enough where it just sits on your shoulder. Wait, so a plastic curvy toy dragon wrapped yes. around his neck yes like imagine like mushu in milan I, that's i kind of was imagining like an accomplice dragon mm-hmm. but it's plastic is yes. it for kids uh it's for him <laughs> <laughs> okay um <laughs> cool well that's good um yeah. and sounds like each person that has any sort of like animal accomplice gets escorted out eventually plastic, <laughs> plastic or otherwise was she escorted out she wasn't escorted out she actually seems like she has, her shit she has the appearance of being very wealthy, so I wonder if she's she can she can afford a lot of butterflies. She can afford a lot of butterflies, and she might be uh, um, on the board of directors or like at, <laughs> she, she, at least she's dressing as such. Which which in this day and age in New York City, that's all that matters. In a ballroom, you can be anything you want. You're not really an executive, but you're looking like an executive. If I had the opportunity, I could be one. So another thing that happened this week was something that we haven't done in a while, which is go to see a live music show um oh on... yeah what, that was so much fun was that thursday night yeah, yeah so it was thursday night right i think mm-hmm. it was in 
Bushwick, which was not far from where we had lived at one point. But yeah, so it was wonderful to go and see our friend Brendan, who was performing with his band Lua. The, the venue too was so funny. It, was, it had like a slide that was a tongue and mm-hmm. all of these big mask props with feathers and very fun house fun louisiana house. uh mardi gras vibes which is not too dissimilar from how baltimore's like kitschy stuff can be put a bird on it put a bird on it i'm painting a bird on a bird <laughs> put a bird on it there's birds everywhere and now you can open for business so very cool um i had a lot of fun yeah so back to Pain and Glory. Um, our first, our first Almodovar, Almodovar experience. experience. Yeah. You know, I got a lot of shit this week for not seeing any Pedro Almodovar already. And I have to say, like, I didn't, like, I don't know, like, my parents didn't, like, glue my eyelids to my forehead. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! My eyes! Ah! and have me internalize all of the great directors from like a film studies 101 textbook when I was 11 years old. So forgive me as I take my time familiarizing myself. My parent was abroad uh, trying to give us a better life. And uh, so I was stuck with my grandmother watching Filipino soap operas. So yeah. that's my canon. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I think this is pretty cool. I wanted to like stop and make a point here. Um, I think what's really cool about our podcast is that um, we really, I like, I like how we've been digging into these pop culture references. Sometimes I get the question, like, why pop culture, um, as well as art. And I think we, we have a dedication to what's high and what's low. But I also think that we were both raised in families where pop culture, for you, pop culture helped you learn English. Pop culture helped you familiarize with America. Pop culture helped you make friends. Um, yeah. From afar, from afar, and then when you moved here, um, yeah, it and, forged like a commonality especially when we moved to the States, I already had um, this working knowledge of what the kids were into here, yeah. you know, what we are watching. And for me, my mom, I mean, I, I was raised in the burbs, like the quintessential, like American culture was pop culture, like, you know, and, and so that's, that's, that, that's what I was raised on. And, and mm-hmm. it's informed my sense of humor. It's informed my sense of irreverence and I, and I, and what I like is that I like, I like kind of play, I like having my cake and eating it too. Like I will, I'm someone who's digging into new material all the time. I think I have a great critical eye. If I can pat myself on the back for a quick minute, I think I've, I think, I think I have a pretty good sharp critical eye yeah. for how to assess, uh, assess good artwork. Mm-hmm. But I also think that I have a wonderful set of references and I'm not going to pretend that I don't have them. I have what I have. And, and, I you, like and you build them up. I think there's there's no shame in experiencing something like a director or a book for the first time. Like Absolutely not. Like, none of us were born like Athena out of Zeus's head, fully formed and ready to go to war. We all had our first experience with Pedro Almodovar. We all had our first experience with Scorsese. Like, like at some point, someone experienced something for the first time. So why is it that people always are just ready to shame you when you Gatekeep. haven't seen anything like, yeah. Oh, you haven't seen this director or you haven't seen that. How, how do you call yourself a film enthusiast? It's, it's or how do you more, call yourself like a, a writer? It's more about how you haven't yet seen it. Not that you're right now planning to like, yeah. how does that make sense? Yeah. I think a better way to approach that would be, Oh, like there, like this is the reason why he's so well liked by the, the community. Um, mm. You should try this 
piece first. You should, you know, watch that first. Yeah, people who are really, I don't know, like like open and kind will like recommend you like the best place to start, which I think is the that's the right thing to do. Um, okay, so hot take on the on the film. So I think I it was a gr- it, so it was actually a great primer um, because it was auto fictional. Mm-hmm. Um, it follows a fictionalized Almodovar. Um, and, uh, an early, uh, film star Mm -hmm. for an early film of his 30 years later. Yeah. And it's kind of known that the act, the lead actor who's now this like washed up heroin addict is (laughs) Antonio Banderas, Mm -hmm. which I'm curious how fictionalized the addiction is, you know, but I um, feel like that with the cadence of the writing and the filmmaking, mm. It's probably a lot um, borrowed from the truth. Yeah, so I think beautiful, dark, uh, deeply personal, but um, like handled very ably. And who am I to say that? This is like a you know, time-tested director, filmmaker. You're someone to say it. We put a mic in front of you. you must I'm be someone, someone to say it. You have this nice $50 mic in front of you. You must be someone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we just saw... Um, the Joker. So I, I have to say, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. <laughs> I thought that it was just going to be bad overall, but I, I think that this movie has a lot of good elements to it that makes it worth seeing. And we'll talk about it later, but the, the bad elements kind of win out. I think, so I say people should go and see this film for Joaquin Phoenix alone there are as you're saying immense drawbacks like we're talking um and we'll get into this soundtrack and script are both Mm -hmm. glaringly lacking and especially in the face of some really great work on the part of the cinematographer and and the actor yeah (laughs) the actor there's a physicality to Joaquin Phoenix's performance, a dancerly physicality. I just, I just think his whole body was consumed by this character. Um, I think it's the tall order to come into a role like the Joker after the Heath Ledger portrayal. He mm-hmm. did a great job. Mm-hmm. The Joker has become, LOL, big shoes to fill. And so big, speak, clown, big shoes clown shoes to, to fill. fill. Joaquin uh, fills these giant clown shoes well disquieting to watch but also endearing um Mm -hmm. i think portraying someone with mental health problems you want to do justice to how that person navigates the world how they feel alienated and how they struggle i think joaquin phoenix does a phenomenal job just seeing this character's unfettered joy and then see him sucked back into reality where he's a caregiver who's broke and treated poorly at work Mm -hmm. you really feel for him and that would not with the script as lacking as it was that would not have come across if Joaquin Phoenix didn't just nail it like hit it out of the park yeah I agree he's uh the perfect actor to have stepped in these shoes because he really transforms in his roles like i loved him in last year's you were never really here Mm. where he transformed himself the opposite of of joker where he gained a lot of weight and basically looked like this like massive wrestler dude a former military guy turned bounty hunter Mm. and um 
but but the funny thing is that haggard action hero yeah um but like 20 years after their prime so not all like slinky and dancy and lithe like looks like like he's 50 70 like 75 pounds lighter 100 pounds lighter at this point but what those two characters share in common is this this ache this this um search for tenderness from the world that they actually have within themselves um and to find it represented beyond just within them yeah yeah um yeah i was moved to tears several moments uh, as well so i wanted to touch on the big elephant in the room um and that is the comparison of this character to incels or just anyone basically who is unhinged in a tense society like we have today people always say like you're humanizing x you know there's a resistance to allowing that and and seeing that in in art but i feel like where else but but fiction and and cinema to see the humanity in those characters because they are people at the end of the day and to understand them is to understand what led them what what in society led them to becoming unhinged and and violent and causing Mm -hmm. harm on on others I think that's why there's a necessity for exploring characters like this. I I was I I I have to say I totally agree with you. Looking to the most deplorable people to understand them, I think is key to assessing the biggest problems in the world. Probably the 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 biggest uh flaw of this movie is in its scoring. We hated the score. Yeah, worst score I've heard in a long time. Most, it's so, so bad that it actually often ruins scenes. Like, mm-hmm. there was a moment where there was a... a it, it often will forecast what's going to happen before the action turns. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one moment where the sound mixing just abruptly changed songs. It was a kind of a iconic shot that had made trailers for the movie where the Joker dances on the stairs. Mm-hmm. And just for what seemed like no reason, completely unceremoniously, the sound changes from this old-fashioned, I think, doo-wop tune yeah. to this un, like, like eerie orchestral score mm-hmm. out of nowhere, like no reason, yeah. no change in performance. It felt just like they wanted the, 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 the dancing segment to end with a different mm-hmm. song for the purpose of these two detectives that were showing up. Yeah. So uns- I have not seen something that slapdash sound mixing wise in yeah. a film. I don't I don't know if I've ever seen anything that actually caught my attention and distracted me from the good material in front of me. Yeah, this this movie has the most obtrusive violin. I'd I'd be super immersed in Walking Phoenix's performance, and then every time there's a there's kind of like a narrative suggestion that he is about to to just flip on someone it would be preempted by this this like slow rising violin and it's like 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 that's not the sound of a violin at all but you know you can imagine um and it's like we we're already getting all this from your actor's performance like trust your actor like you got this guy for a reason like <laughs> look you, you see how he's committed and how much weight he's lost and how he's transformed like so, let him do the work 
it felt like I was being manhandled around the film's emotional territory. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like I was being led in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> I, I often felt like it was, you know, it was in, like you're saying incoherent. There were moments where I was like, this should be quiet here. Like I should be sitting in the, the quiet. I should be uncomfortable in the quiet. Perfect moment. Do you remember that scene where he was dancing in the bathroom? I think yes. after his first k- kill, his first kill. Yeah. I was thinking how impactful that scene and there was, he was dancing to it's presumably imagined music. Mm-hmm. And I thought how much better would it have been if leading up to that moment, we had had a very sparse mm-hmm. soundtrack that was unintrusive for like the minute or so leading up after the kill yeah. when he's running, leading into that scene. Yeah. How nice would it have been to give us time to breathe mm-hmm. sonically and then introduce that. Yeah. Instead, we got mashed with sound from the kill all the way to that moment. Mm-hmm. And I could hear someone's decision sitting in the mess around it. I could tell someone had an idea that just <laughs> couldn't make its way out of the sound the sound mixing. Yeah. So I like the audience, how the audience has to contend with this film. This, this movie is a bit of a blue baller in a way that I really love. Blue um, baller. Well, I think that people go to see superhero movies because they want like an easy person to root for. And then I think people go to anti-hero movies because they want uh, a smooth talking, charismatic um, jester. And the mm-hmm. Joker, I mean, it's the Joker. He's going to be jesterly. Yeah. What's funny is that I think what we get is a disquieting and honest portrayal of an outcast misery. Mm-hmm. The whole all you can do is laugh saying personified. Yeah. Um, and so the audience is, I imagine the audience would expect this kind of villain version of a Deadpool character. Yes. Like, like someone talky, just to enjoy. Yeah. yeah. But no, like instead you have to suffer through the real problems mm-hmm. that exist for someone like this to become a murderer in the first place. Yeah. Um, and so they instead leave with this prolonged agonizing glimpse into the psyche of one of the most downtrodden of, of Gotham mm-hmm. and with easy, easy applications to our society. Yeah. Um, it's said that comedy is about timing and Arthur is hopelessly out of rhythm. Um, you mm, see in his, good. in his timing of laughter with, one of my favorite scenes, a standout scene. Um, it's early on. Um, he's at a comedy show. He's just recently been told by his uh, mother that he can't be a comedian if he's not funny. Why would he want to be one if he's not funny? Mm-hmm. And so he attends a comedy show and is taking notes. And the, a, an example of just, I, I love the directing and cinematography of this movie, let me say. And so here, th- there's just lamps galore. Every table has a lamp at this comedy show. And the, the the camera slowly creeps its way towards him as he takes notes at his table. Um, and you see the black shadow outlines of all the people around him. Mm-hmm. And you hear their laughter around him and then his would he'll punctuate the air with his own trade with Joaquin Phoenix's kind of trademarking Mm -hmm. Joker laughter of the Joker. And so you really hear how out of step he is, but you see how much fun he's having Mm -hmm. trying to assess what makes something funny. So back to the physicality of Joaquin Phoenix's performance, another element of viscerality that I enjoyed, which is his head against glass. He off or against other walls. (laughs) walls. <laughs> mm-hmm. He he often will use his head as a bludgeoning tool to harm himself, to hurt himself, but also to break through a barrier mm-hmm. to what he hopes is on the other side. Mm-hmm. 
Um, let's talk about script. So as I was watching this movie, I, okay, like I said before, I was very, like, I even whispered this to you uh, at the beginning, like, in the beginning um, scenes of the movie, how impressed I was. I was like, this movie's doing pretty well so far. Great directing, great um, setting of the scene of, of 80s uh, Gotham City, you know, really New York. I was watching it and I was, it was totally, um, I was totally removed from the fact that this was a Joker from DC, from Batman. But then as we got into the the beats of this is a DC character with a universe that he's going to be connected to, I don't know if this is another reboot of, of Batman, which please stop. <laughs> um, but oh my God. that was when uh, things started to spiral down for me. Um, it's another, okay, this is one of those uh, moments where I, I feel like I would enjoy this reboot if it wasn't a reboot. I was thinking that this movie was like someone's shitty first draft. You know how when you, <laughs> you know how when you um, write a new piece, it starts from this really powerful uh, emotional um, core, uh, mm. like a, like a or even like a very vivid scene that you want to write, and so that scene always feels strong when you're reading it, even for the first time. Sure. Um, and this is how this movie is. The, the beginning was so strong. But then the writer didn't know where to take it from there. What the worst scene for me slash the best scene because I I love a, ba- a bad um, you know a, ba- a bad movie making moment um, is the scene where Joker goes to the Wayne Wayne Manor mm. and starts interacting with with Bruce Wayne who's then probably like ten years old maybe younger um, and. The scene ends with Joker strangling Alfred um, because he he gets caught, you know, like playing with 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 Bruce and he lets him go, walks away. And then Alfred just walks away as well. It was very like um, like a Grand Theft Auto uh, (laughs) video game from the early 2000s where like there's this tense moment that happens and then. Um, stage exit <laughs> yeah yeah the characters go from like being actors to just beca- being like npcs and they just walk away from each other like like no tension but so how would you characterize the dialogue i think i was telling you in the movie like i've heard or i've seen lifetime movies with better uh dialogue than this the characters weren't reactive towards each other they started speaking in a way that normal pe- people wouldn't say or when when something very dramatic happens, something very violent, the characters would say something. Why like, did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> like why? Why did if you someone do- if your if your dear friend is murdered in front of you, I don't think your response is to say out loud coherently. Why? Why did you, you do, do that? that? <laughs> Going back to shitty first drafts, the the narrative drive of this movie is very much reliant on circumstance. Like things things just keep happening to this character, and he's not really making decisions you know to 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 drive him him forward mm-hmm. like for example um one of his one of his you know biggest um goals for this character is to become uh, a famous stand-up comedian and we don't see him try to do stand-up until like 30 40 minutes into the movie i think that the director wanted to make him a victim of circumstance to an extent and so they had that moment farther in where he did exert his desires on the world but ultimately i think he's he's made to be someone who's 
uh, drawn to to fame, um, to the fame of celebrity. I think it's it's just un- it was unrealistic that this character was a magnet of mistreatment. Everything happens to him directly, mm. and so it just kind of becomes happenstance that he becomes the face of this anti-government, anti-rich movement um, when it really for him was just about being picked on by by people repeatedly for some reason it's it's always yeah even from the first moment where he's attacked by kids and then beaten in an alley mm-hmm. and then it, the kid oh that was another thing where the kids were just like beat him up beat him up all right let's go we're done <laughs> <laughs> all right that's enough and we're done and scene <laughs> so the film seems to have a clear political message in mind but is it delivered successfully there's a camp of of criticism for this movie where it doesn't go far enough in terms of the social dynamics that it wants to to play out and i felt the same way with the dark knight returns or rises the third in the last trilogy where the the social movement that becomes exploited by the the villain character is so faceless and undefined we see everything through all the social injustices that we see are through joker and nothing else. We don't see how the people around him are having maybe like a worse life than he does, mm. you know? Um, and so what ends up happening is you just have this faceless mass of, of insurrectionists that are torching police cars and, and stores and, and destroying buildings. You'd like a suggestion that they are hurting or absolutely that, that they're ostracized it, as much as the Joker. Yeah. their bad behavior. There's a real reason why poor people and disenfranchised people are angry right now and and are searching for a different way of and you see this with the left and the right a different um way of going about government and i think that this movie would have done well to like it already wanted to do that it's already provoking like certain aesthetics from that class war Mm. that exists today um if it just if it wanted to do that it should have gone all the way and and shown us what this world is that Joker lives in, not just his own personal um, interior life, but of the people around him. Time for a quick potty break. And when we come back, it's time for this week's Last Bites. time for our favorite segment last bites and as always we're gonna kick things off with what you guys have to share this week hi this is jules from new york city this week i'm obsessed with dave navarro's style hair outfits makeup Everything on the show, Ink Master, Battle of the Sexes. Hey 
Hey, your veggies. It's Chad calling from New York. I'm currently obsessed with Rosalia, the Spanish artist from Barcelona. I saw her last night in Pedro Amadovar's new film, Pain and Glory. She's in the opening scene, singing by a river. It sounds gorgeous. I would also recommend her song with J Balvin, her song with Osuna. She's really blown up lately, kind of mixing reggaeton with... Um, traditional Spanish flamenco and she's gotten a lot of press but I still think more people should listen to her because she's amazing thanks so much Chad and Jules for calling in you guys should definitely check out what they've suggested or else (laughs) the clown the clown prince of crime will come and get you Yum. Um, so this week I'd like to dedicate my last bite to Ekauslada. Ekauslada is a design team comprised of Mike Ekaus and Zoe Lada, a bi-coastal duo. They just received a shout out from uh, Vogue Runways editors as having one of the top collections for the season. I believe from like Paris, London, New York, all fashion weeks. So um, I have a friend who is the retail director there and um, had the good fortune of attending the show. And I first off really enjoyed the show. I think it was like the first show of that caliber I'd attended. Uh, Really amazing knits, uh, this gorgeous white thick, what I think is cotton tunic dress. want also uh these clunky heels that had these like bell-bottom-esque flares to them they look kind of uh let's just say tricky to walk in but um Mm -hmm. gorge on the runway what was your favorite look uh especially to see in person my favorite look it was this teal blue satin number that looked formal wear-esque it was completely open-chested the model looked badass it was drapey billowy shiny Gorgine, and I definitely need to like shave, suck in my waist, and put that shit on. Is that what I'm gonna say in this yeah. podcast? Yeah. Is I need to shave yeah. and suck in my waist? Yeah, this is yeah, that's fashion, <laughs> fashion journalism at its finest. So this week for my last bites, uh, I'm currently obsessed with Succession on HBO. I'd hum the theme for you, but it's very uh, hard to hum. Uh, ding. That's my best attempt. You're welcome, at it. listeners at home. Uh, I'm obsessed with Succession right now. HBO has another hit on their hands. Um, I think that the first season flew under the radar a bit, but the second season is definitely the show that is it's um, having a moment, getting talked about. It's on buses. It's on everyone's mind. It's 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 really finding its identity as a satire of the uh, riches of the rich uh, New York uh, families. And it has a cast of characters that are, of course, deplorable, but have a lot that you can relate to. But the thing that I would recommend this week, especially from from last week's episode, is a moment when Kendall Roy the uh, prodigal son of the family decided to put on a rap number for their father's birthday slash homecoming celebration. I read it. It is burning my eyes, but I cannot look away. L to the OG. Dude be the OG. And he playing. Playing like a pro. C. L to the OG. 
Dude be the O-G-A-N, he playing. Yeah, that's to been, the O-G, that's yeah, been, yeah. That's been on, they, that thing has been in my head uh, this whole week. L to the O-G. Um, uh, yeah, Succession certainly has, is having a moment, isn't it? Yeah. I've noticed a lot of friends talking about it this season more than the last two. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll start watching it. We shall see. Stay tuned if Charlie Stay will tuned. watch it. Um, well, this has been awesome. Um, episode 7. Episode 7. Laugh your heart out. You've been listening to Eat Your Veggies. Hope you got your fill. Eat Your Veggies is recorded in a modest two-bedroom in Brooklyn, New York. Produced and edited by us. Want seconds? Subscribe to Eat Your Veggies, where you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave us a long, heartfelt review. Follow Eat Your Veggies on Instagram and Twitter. We want to hear from you. Record a voice message telling us about your latest obsession and send it on over to eatyourveggiestv at gmail.com. Till next time, stay hungry and try something new. Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix. It's a weird name.